from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. And so this is a symbolic way for us to show our identification with Christ, that we are buried with him. And just as he rose in his power, we are raised and able to walk in new life. And so that's what we're celebrating with these, these wonderful folks today. Sam Kimball, and I'm getting baptized today. I've always been raised in faith. My entire family is Christian. I went to church, but it was, my belief was never personal. It was more of a reflection of my environment. And anytime there was a chance to make my faith more personal, I felt a lot of trepidation and fear about that. These feelings kind of intensified when I first went to high school. My ninth grade year it was really the first time I was in a non-Christian environment and that really felt like it mattered. And so this sort of fear and trepidation about making my faith personal really just grew. And also some shame about my Christianity got added to the mix. But um, the summer after ninth grade year, before 10th, I went on a mission trip with what would become my youth group. And I saw sort of for the first time how good of a thing, how good of news the gospel is. Seeing just this group of people very invested in their faith and very joyous in it and seeing the work that God was doing through us, it really started making that shame and anxiety around my faith really fade. Like I, that was the first time I found, I think it's the verse in Romans where Paul says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. And that really struck me. So I sort of resolved to start looking forward in my faith and looking to make it more personal. My 10th grade year, I was sort of going into it with this mindset of I'm gonna own my faith more. I'm gonna make it more personal. Um, that year I also really started struggling with some mental issues that I still have today, like a lot of self-hatred and anxiety. And that kind of just sealed it in my mind that I need to be able to rely on God through those struggles. I need to be able to have him be the first I go to and be able to let him carry me. I first started thinking about baptism because of that, thinking I could really publicly dedicate myself to God as a sign of that devotion and invitation to him. But I didn't really make any practical steps towards it. That summer, again, I went on a mission trip uh, with the same youth group. We went to Kentucky and I learned that I have a serious tendency to overwork myself. We were doing hard sort of physical labor and I would regularly need to have someone else would have to would realize how tired I was and they would come up and tell me to stop working because I just was not willing to do it myself. I wasn't, I was measuring my worth by how much I was doing. I still sort of struggle with that. But again, that I thought like, oh, I need to really accept God's grace. I need to move. I need to get baptized. I need to like declare that this is where my priority lies, but I didn't take any steps towards it. 
this year, my 11th grade year, I've been going through a fair amount of struggles. I've been dealing with a lot of social trouble and um, my brother's surgery. And it's just really been driving home the point that I need to stop trying to get through these on my own merit and on my own works and let God's grace and strength be what carries me through my life and really invite him in. So getting baptized feels to me like the sign that this is what I'm devoted to. This is what I'm choosing, where my priorities lie. And I'm, it's a public invitation to God that I'm, I'm ready to let you carry me through life. And I'm ready to stop using my own strength. I mean, I don't expect everything's going to turn around right away, but this is really the next step, and it's an important declaration for me. All right, well, this is Sam. And Sam, do you know that you are a child of God? Do you know that you are not a burden? And God delights to carry you, to care for you as a son when you smile. You want to cross your arms? I'm going to baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Hi, my name is Amanda Elliott. Uh, my husband and I have been coming to Genesis uh, for almost nine years uh, this November. Um, so everybody asked me my reason why. My reason why is why not? Um, I think I went through a little bit of a journey trying to get pregnant and um, didn't think that God was providing for me and I struggled a little bit, um, but I was asking the wrong question. It wasn't why, it was why not. What was I doing in my life that God wasn't providing what I thought he should for me? Um, and that was the wrong question. So why not? He provided for me, so I'm here to dedicate my life to provide for him and be the lead that my daughters need to follow their own spiritual journey. Thank you.
Street. Yes, hello, my name is Dale. I'm a part of Genesis Church for on and off for 20 years. Oh, McCarthy, you've been a great friend of mine. I'm here today to let you know that I'm getting baptized this Sunday at uh, Genesis Church, and I hope to see you there. And uh, this is one of the reasons why I'm doing this documentary. I just want to make share this story with you and, and how it came to in my life to want to change and get baptized. It started way back one year and a half ago when uh, I had a blocked nerve in my artery. And uh, the doctors told me I had to do a major surgery on my neck. So we went back and forth and I finally decided to uh, let him uh, do the surgery. So as he, time went by and he did the surgery, uh, you know, it was a lot of pain and I went through so much. It once became a point where I didn't really want to be here anymore. I lost everything, my ability to walk. I even couldn't, I didn't even stop believing until one day as I sat in my bed in the hospital and I talked to God and I asked for forgiveness and so many other things. And I said, please God, could you help me walk? And as I said before, I was paralyzed after the surgery. And uh, as time went by, I said, no matter what, dear God, please help me through this, this horrible, horrific triumph I'm going through. And as time went by, as he started answering my prayers, slowly but surely, as I started walking, taking steps. They say you have to crawl before you walk, and I know exactly what that means. And to make a long story short, I regained my ability to walk again. And let me tell you, that was one of the amazing things that ever happened in my life. It meant so much to me. And, uh, that that's what made me drop the thorn, looking into the spiritual. I wanted to get closer to God as I could. I wanted to know more about Jesus. And I wanted to just be close. So one day I just decided that, to me, I make me feel better. As I was in church one day, I had a long talk with Bo, the pastor. And we talked about this, and I said, yes, I really would, would like to get baptized. It'd be the first time in my life that I made a change. And uh, I just came here just to share this story and hope it reaches many more. Thank you. Petey, the water would be warm and alive. It's cold. <laughs> and Petey is nervous. And he's worried that I won't be able to help him back up. <laughs> so you'll be witnesses today that if Petey lived, it is God's will. <laughs> and God
God has something good for Petey. <laughs> and so, Petey, do you know that God loves you? Yes, sir. Do you know that he delights in you as his son? Yes, I do. Do you know that he smiles upon you and that you are not a burden for God? Yes. You're his child. And all that is his is yours. Yes, sir. And so, Petey, cross your arms. Bend your knees, and I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Hi everybody, my name is Katie and I'm a new member to the church. And I'm making this video today because I've made the decision to be baptized and it's the perfect time because tomorrow's Easter Sunday. And the reason why I'm doing this is I have been a Christian only since last June of 2022. And before that I had been an unbeliever for my entire life but I experienced him coming to me and revealing himself to me and since that time I had felt his power and his love over my life and since that time my relationship with Jesus has continued to grow and by being baptized this is my way of growing that relationship further and extending my love and my gratitude to Jesus Christ. And so I will be baptized and yeah, I'm very excited and very grateful that he has come into my life. Thank you, bye. All right, Katie, are you ready to be baptized? Yep, I'm ready. All right. Uh, do you know? Should I be, like, thinking anything first? Like... No, no, you don't need to think any, you know. Okay. No, no, nothing, nothing part of it. Okay. Um, do you know that... You don't want to be in a holy space. <laughs> I'm serious. <laughs> no, you are. There's okay. nothing There's nothing we can do to make it anything okay. more than, than what it is. Okay. Right? You don't have to think anything, any of that. Okay. It, it is, this is kind of, this is kind of what it is. Okay. Uh, do you know that God loves you? Yes. Do you know there's nothing you can do to make God love you more <laughs> or that to make that love stop? Yes. Uh, and do you, um, are you ready to ensue this mystery and the journey of continuing to grow in the reality of God's love for you um, and God's plans and desires for you for the rest yes. of your days? Yes. All right, Katie. And then so, would you cross your arms? And then so, I baptize you in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. And so God, thank you for your pursuit of Katie. Thank you for your love for Katie. As you spoke over your son at Jesus' baptism, may she hear you speak over her. 
She is your daughter, and you delight in her. May your favor and your love fill her. And so she was immersed in this water. As a sign, may you continue to immerse her in all of your fullness of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. 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 Uh, would you please stand? How amazing is that? One of, the, one of the signs that God is on the move and God is redeeming and rescuing and that the resurrection we get to participate in, that God is resurrecting us. And baptism is a sign of that. And so how, how amazing for us to get to participate. Let's worship together. Let's reflect. If you know the words, sing it. If you don't know the words, say watermelon. Nudge the person next to you. Make fun of them because they probably don't know the words either. But the intent of this is to lift praise and thanksgiving to God for God pursuing us and meeting us exactly where we are, even if that's this morning. And so will God continue to resurrect and may we join that great, great story. Let's worship together.
Happy Easter. He is risen. All right. We'll do it one more time for those who didn't, weren't familiar. So I'll say he is risen and your call will be he is risen indeed. He is risen. All right. Good morning. My name is Liv. Welcome to Genesis. We're so glad you're with us. It's been a powerful morning so far. So waterproof mascara. It's, it's been wonderful, the worship and the baptism. So we're so glad that you could uh, join us and be together as a church community. And for those of you who are new or if it's your first time, welcome. Um, please take a moment to let us know you're here. There's either a digital connection card on our website on the homepage. You'll find that under connection. Or there are some physical green cards in the pew that we'd love for you to fill out, uh, provide your contact information. And if there's anything that we can provide for you uh, for us to stay connected here together. If you are new to Genesis and would like to join our text distribution list, text new to Genesis, all one word, to 94,000, And you can place that physical green card in the wooden box at the back of the sanctuary. And this is also where you can place your offering if you have brought that with you, with you physically. But thank you for all who continue to give online or via text. Uh, if you haven't noticed outside, we invite you to participate in our Stations in the Street. So the Stations of the Cross began as remembrance when they were retracing Jesus' final steps in Jerusalem up in the hill where he was crucified. And wanting to share that experience and practice with people who couldn't make the trip to Jerusalem, they created local Stations of Meditation that became in itself a tradition. So you can find this tradition on the inside or at Genesis, on the outside, in many churches still today. So there are 12 stations set up right here in the front of the building on Main Street, as the name depicts, Stations of the Street. So please come and um, plan to engage in this ancient, ancient tradition of walking the final steps of Jesus. So we've had this up for Holy Week. We're going to keep it up for a few more days. You can do this today if you have time. You can do it alone or with a group. And each of the stations has a QR code with a guided meditation. So just another um, addition to our Holy Week practices and something that uh, you can do and take a, some time to reflect on what that means to us as Christians. So at this time, I'm going to release middle school students, and then I'll release each of you for a connection. Stand up, say hello to one another, wish one another happy Easter, and we will continue our worship.
Good morning. Good morning. Great to be with you on this holiday, this day to celebrate together the baptisms and the stories and to celebrate God's love for us. I think there's a rumor that I spit or something because the front is empty. <laughs> Everybody's like, stay back. But let me start with this about Easter. Esau Macaulay, who's from Chicago, a professor at Wheaton, New Testament scholar, says the indestructibility of hope might be the central and most radical claim of Easter. And so that's what I want, that indestructibility of hope. It was just a couple nights ago, and my wife's name is Carmel. And those of you who know her and know our story, she's been having breathing trouble for the last four years or so. And we're in a bad stretch currently since about December, with breathing. And her and Harvest are in bed together, and they have this conversation. I asked both of their permission before I shared it. I says, Mom, you didn't look as sick as you normally do today. And Carmel responds, really, that's good. And Harvest says, yeah, I always feel the closest to God at Easter. My son is seven, by the way. <laughs> I always feel the closest to God at Easter, and I wonder if he's going to heal you this Easter. Yeah. Carmel responds, I would love that, but I don't know if that will happen that soon. Harvest responds, you have to be hoping, Mom. She says, you're right. I'll ask God now for hope. Please give me hope, God. Why do you think you feel closer to God at Easter, she asked Harvest. And he says, I think it's just because I'm thinking about him all the time and all that stuff you did because he loves me. When do you feel it? And she says, lots of times. I feel God when I look at you or hear your laugh or, and then he interrupts her, I wonder how soon we can get a dog after God heals you. I did take them to what, that, a dog place, you know, those like puppy gram places, so we get pet puppies that day. <laughs> the indestructibility of hope, that hope, you got to hope. And there's such beautiful truth when Harvest is saying that, oh, you, you got to hope. And so today I just want to talk about, well, what are we hoping for? So what is that hope? Esau goes on, he, write, he wrote in the New York Times about hope, and he said he'd never been a big fan of hope. Hope is demanding. It's a demanding emotion. Uh, if you're in need of it, it demands a change from you, a change of mind. It's a demanding emotion that insists a change of you. Hope pulls you out of yourself and into the world, forcing you to believe more is possible. Hate or despair is much less insistent, master. It only asks you to loathe. It is quite happy for you to, to have you to itself, and it doesn't ask you to go anywhere. But hope says things might be different. 
and the indestructibility of hope. So why does hope say that things might be different? I love this idea of hope in this way, painted in a poem, painted in a psalm, one of the most recognizable psalms. What does hope look like? The 23rd Psalm says it looks like a shepherd who pursues us. But at the end of the 23rd Psalm, the last sentence of the Psalm, this was penned by Eugene Peterson, who took those words, those poetic words, and infused them a bit more and says this, your beauty and love chase after me every day of my life. That's what hope is. God's beauty and love chasing us, pursuing us, being after us, that it'll chase me and you tomorrow. The beauty and love will chase us. And I'm back home in the house of God for the rest of my life. That is hope. Beauty and love chasing us. The indestructibility of hope. And after the three days that Jesus was killed, he returned to his disciples physically, and that made all the difference as love and beauty were chasing them. And in this Easter, and also in those testimonies it, from the baptisms, it's about encountering the person who, despite every disappointment we experience with ourselves and with the world, gives us a reason to carry on because love and beauty chase us. And so I want to look at one of the first stories of this breaking in, the resurrection story found in John, one of the Gospels of John, the last one to be written. And take this was our reading for today. So this is John 20, verses 1 through 18. And I want to pull it back a little bit just to be looking for that hope, the indestructibility of hope in the resurrection of Jesus. So this is in John 20. Early on the first day of the week, which would be Sunday, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb. This is after Jesus was crucified. He had been laid in the tomb on Friday, right before Sabbath started, and he laid to rest in there, in this tomb. And so Mary Magdalene went there on the first day of the week, which was Sunday, while it was still dark. She went to the tomb, and she saw that the stone had been moved because the heavy stone had been rolled in front of it. And she saw that it had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. She thought that Jesus' body had been stolen. So Peter and the other disciple started to the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter, just saying, and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, just saying, also went in. He saw and believed. They still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to where they were saying, and now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. And as she wept, she bent over and looked into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. And they asked her, woman, why are you crying? 
They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they've put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. He asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it you're looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, sir, if you've carried away, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him and I will get him. And Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said, don't hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news. I have seen the Lord. And she told them that, she had said, that he had said these things to her. So in this story, I think it is a story. It's a story about the first account of the resurrection of Jesus. But it's a story of beauty and love chasing us, pursuing us. And I love in the first account, as Mary goes to the tomb, she finds it empty, she finds the stone away, she sees the things lying inside there, the strips of linen that Jesus was wrapped in after he was dead, and she doesn't see him there, and she thinks immediately, someone's taken him. So she runs, she grabs the disciples. They come back with her, they beat her there, and, and they run in. But right in that moment, it says this. In that verse three, it reminds us, in verse two, it said, the one that Jesus loved, he was the first one to the tomb. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved. This idea of God chasing the beauty and the love of Jesus chasing us is here within the first sentences of the story. I think we're not meant to miss this detail. Now, many believe that the one who wrote this, that narrated all these stories, that told the stories, that wrote the book of John, which actually John the disciple, and which he describes himself, or he was inspired to describe himself as the one Jesus loved. And I believe we're not meant to miss this detail. He was the one Jesus loved. Not like the only one, as, as if Jesus didn't love the others, and oh, I'm the one he loved, and he didn't. But no, just as, a, as an identity for all of us to stop and to pause on this reality of John saying, oh, the one whom Jesus loved. Not because he was the fastest. Because he was actually slow to enter the tomb. Maybe fear kept him from stepping in. And it says here, he still didn't believe that Jesus had risen from the dead, but yet he was still the one Jesus loved. And after they saw this, and Mary said they've stolen him, they believed. They believed that someone had stolen the body of Jesus. And what do you think John and Peter were thinking as they walked away? I think they were mad. I think they were angry. I think they daydreamed about finding the person who stolen him and attacking them. They probably had war on their minds and frustration. But not only that, they realized that they were also ones who had abandoned Jesus when he was betrayed and arrested. But yet, 
he's still the one Jesus loved. Frustrated, angry, fearful. All of these things, the one Jesus loved. And this is the first thing we're to know about him. He was loved. When did that love start? Before even you were formed. This is what beauty and love chasing us looks like. When we're running and not believing and when we're frustrated and we're angry and we're abandoning and when we're failing, we, the whole time, are the ones Jesus loves before we even realize it, before we even believe anything about God. That's what beauty and love chasing us looks like. The one Jesus loved. So as you and I and as we all search, yes, we do, may you, may I, may we know who we are. That's where hope begins to be birthed, that we are ones that Jesus loves. How could that hope be formed in us? As your story unfolds and is told, may you know that that is your identity. What's most crucial about you is the most significant thing about you. That you're loved by God. There is no getting past this. This kind of love is transforming. And to know this is what it is to hope. This is what love and beauty chasing us looks like. Hope also is seen in the story of Mary. Mary was the first person there. She ran, she saw the tomb empty, she got the other disciples, they ran back, they beat her there. She was probably winded after getting them the first time, but they beat her in, they view it, they assess it, they determine you're right, someone stole Jesus' body, they leave. They go back to where they were. And she stays. Why? I don't know. But it tells us that she stays and she weeps. She cries. She can't hold it together. The offenses and the ridicule and the pain that she's experiencing is been compounded by the reality that she wanted to come and do one last gesture of love for Jesus, and now someone has stolen his body to make the offense even worse. And she weeps and she waits. That's what we're told. And while she's waiting and weeping, she looks back into the tomb and she sees two angels. And this doesn't disrupt her for one moment. This doesn't ease it for one minute because the angels ask her, woman, why are you crying? And she's like, they've taken him away. If you know, and I don't know where his body is. Their presence, this presence of angels changes, seems to change nothing for her. And then all of a sudden, Jesus is there, but she doesn't realize it. She's looking for a body that's disfigured. She's looking for one I mean, they, they knew what they did to him. They saw it. She witnessed the wounds. She was looking for one maimed, and he wasn't there. 
And so she sees another figure in there, who's Jesus, and she thinks it's a gardener. How interesting. Now, I don't know if that's just a point of detail. What I always find about these kinds of things, um, what I love about that she thought that Jesus was a gardener are two things. One, could Jesus have determined whatever he was? I, like what, who decided? Because it didn't look like Jesus. But what I think is so significant, what Jesus didn't come back as. He didn't come back as a warrior. He was just brutalized and killed and murdered by Roman leaders. And, and he doesn't come back and doesn't show his force in any way. He doesn't posture in any way. He doesn't puff up and say, do you see really who I am? He didn't show himself as a king or ruler. He didn't show up as Michael Landon or Paul Ingalls. <laughs> but he seems like a gardener. Did Mary get it right? I, I don't know. I think it's really a beautiful image because when the story is first untold it's at the beginning, when those who sat down to tell the origins of it all said that God had created it all and he made a garden, and he put humanity in the garden, and he walked with them in the garden. And Jesus told stories about tending us and caring for us. He told stories that we were like plants that did not produce fruit, nothing. And Jesus said, oh, I'm going to go to them, and I'm going to dig around them, and I'm going to plant them in good earth, and I'm going to tell them, oh, and good will come from them. So I don't think we're meant to miss that gardener image as one who tends to us. But still, we're on Mary here. She thinks he's a gardener until Jesus calls her name, Mary. And it says she turns, and this is um, scholars, boy, they, they love every word. That's how the Jewish people studied too, every word. Not one, they, everything's in there. And this is a weird story because it says that Mary was there, she turned to Jesus, and he says, why are you crying? And she says, oh, they've, they've taken him away. And then Jesus says, Mary, and it says she turns again. And so many say, oh, this is a turning of the heart. She sees, this is Jesus. She hears Jesus call her name as she waits and weeps. That's what love chasing us and beauty pursuing us looks like. In our waiting and our weeping, Jesus comes near, tends to us, and calls us by name. I, I, I know you guys, we know if you're here, we know, we know parts of each other. We know our waitings and our weepings because we weep with each other and wait with each other and we celebrate with each other. And we know the stories of people who have a hard time even coming today because of their waiting and their weeping. And we make room for them and say, it's okay. And we wait and we weep with them. But love, but beauty, hope, chasing and pursuing us is the one who in our waiting and weeping calls to us. And again, this story is written for us so that we would have hope knowing that love calls our name. 
pursues us. So in your waiting and weeping, might you hear Jesus call your name. I see you in your waiting, in your weeping, and I am with you. I believe that's part of what Harvest was kind of saying, Mom, you gotta keep on hoping. In your waiting and your weeping, hearing our God call us saying, I am with you, tending you, I'm for you. Something beautiful about this story of this kind of hope that pursues Mary, she's given a message to give to the disciples who ran away, who didn't wait, and who weren't weeping. And this is the message she's to share. I am ascending to my Father and to your Father, to my God and your God. This is this message. It's this message of inclusion. It's this message to them and to all who would hear it that would say, you are not orphans in your frustration, in your failure, in your anger, in your waiting, in your weeping, you are not orphaned. We have a good father and a good king, my father and your father, my God and your God, is the words of inclusion that Jesus proclaims over them all, that we and they are a part of the family included. This is what hope sounds like with love and beauty pursuing us. Oh, let them know. I'm ascending to my Father, but your Father. To my God, to your God. You are included. Oh, that is hope. Our inclusion by God's love. Beauty and love pursuing us all the days of our life. There's one more picture I want to I want to close on in this about hope from this story. It says that Mary saw two angels seated, seated, one of like where the head of Jesus would have been and one at where Jesus' feet were there, and they were sitting. That's an interesting picture. There's another picture in the Old Testament of angels sitting on the ends, and they were placed on the Ark of the Covenant, two cherubim with their wings. And they take the Ark of the Covenant. I got an image of this, and for those of you who've seen Indiana Jones, you're familiar with this. But the Ark of the Covenant, there's two angels. They're seated on both sides, and in the middle is what's called the mercy seat. This is where the king would sit. This is the throne where God dwells. And once a year, by tradition, the high priest would enter into this place where the Ark was. And they would offer prayers, and there would be some blood, and the forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed as they went to the mercy seat, and forgiveness would be proclaimed over all of them. It's just a beautiful picture. Interesting enough, the first tattoo that I ever got was the Ark of the Covenant on my back. I was 25, and I was like, oh, yeah. And if you read in the scriptures, it goes into great detail about this room with columns and, and, the, and these regal angels pointing forward and this curtaining with pomegranates. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to get that whole scene on my back. And they started. And I was like, you know what? The angels will be enough. 
you know what? Black and white will be fine. <laughs> and you know I love pomegranates, but no pomegranates are needed. <laughs> but the ark is there. But this ark where the two angels spread coming together and in the middle is the mercy seat where the king sits, bringing mercy. And Jesus uses this language as she says, here's the message and here's what you've seen. You saw the two angels sitting there together, sitting on there in the tomb that is empty and tell them, I'm ascending. I'm not yet, but I'm ascending to my father, your father, to my God, to your God. Well, here's what the writers in Hebrews say in verse 14 and verse chapter 4. Therefore, since we have a great high priest, this is Jesus, who has ascended into heaven. The high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold firmly to the faith we profess to the trust that we profess, which is that Jesus has ascended into heaven, has raised from the dead. The trust that we profess, that love and beauty are pursuing us. That the Father is our Father, that God is our God, is our profession of faith. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weakness. All the weaknesses of the story of John the disciple and Mary, their weaknesses of being frustrated and, and angry and fearful, their weakness in their waiting and their weeping. We don't have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weakness, but we have one who's been tempted in every way, the temptation towards hate, the temptation towards despair, but yet hope is what they hold on to. We have one who's been tempted in every way, just as we are. Yet, he did not sin. He did not falter. He did not turn away. He walked forward in that way. And then here's the encouragement. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Oh, what a picture. What a picture of this mercy seat. So there was a mercy seat on that ark that only one person could go before to beseech for mercy and grace. And it's like, that was the wrong picture. Not approachable, not accessible. Once a year, it's like, oh no, you're missing it. Hope is so much bigger than that. We have one that says you can approach, you can approach this mercy seat, not because you're clean, not because you've got it all together, not because you even believe everything right. You can approach because love has pursued you and beauty has pursued you and says, come, come to the mercy seat and find grace and mercy in your time of need. And it's accessible to you. Come and find grace and mercy. This is what the ascension sounds like and looks like. This is that truth that says, oh, my father is your father. My God is your God. Grace and mercy are available to you and to me. And all, we, all it says is, come. Uh, we celebrate that kind of hope. 
the hope that our identity is marked out from eternity as ones whom God loves, a hope that is there in a God who knows our name and calls it to us in our waiting and our weeping, and a hope that says, you can approach me with confidence and get grace and mercy in your times of need. This is what love likes and beauty looks like pursuing us. And may our hearts be open and receive all the fullness of this love. And may we too, as Mary, share this good news with others. We have seen, we have seen the Lord, and we have seen what beauty and love pursuing us looks like. The story of Easter is not that everything is better. Parts of our stories and the stories of the world, that's not true. It's about the indestructibility of hope. And the throne of grace is open for us to receive mercy and to find grace in our times of need by the God who pursues us. And so, Father, we open ourselves up to this love. We recognize it and we celebrate it again today. And we're thankful for it. May our hope grow today by being with one another and hearing the stories of one another. May our hope grow as we hold Jesus on our minds, in our imaginations. And our ears and our eyes are open to see our living God with us, near us, calling us and pursuing us all the days of our lives. Amen. We're going to sing one more song, but we're also going to do an affirmation of faith. And so I want to invite you to do this reading with me. So I invite you to stand. It's just an affirmation of the resurrection of Jesus. We have, uh, I would love for you to read with chutzpah, you're right, with some boldness, or you can just read it, it's okay, yeah, sorry to put that, sorry to put that on you, that pressure, um, but the green part of for us to do together, we, the collective, the family, the church, and so let's proclaim this affirmation of faith this morning together. We believe in resurrection, mysterious, beyond our understanding, and yet like tulips after the snow, real. We believe in Easter morning, promise of a God, roll back every stone to return to us. We believe in Jesus, who calls us by name and asks, who are you looking for? So we look for justice, for mercy, for God in our midst. As we look, we sing, hallelujah, amen. Yeah, man.
thank you. Thank you guys so much for that. And may we breathe in hope. And may hope come out of us today. If you had the chance and you see somebody who was baptized for Sam, Petey, and Amanda, would you grab them and give them some love? Uh, Jess, thank you for creating the chalkboards out there. If you want to grab a picture next to the Easter one. She even did an egg one for kids who want to give some bunny fingers or some things like that on the side. But feel free, uh, connect with each other as a part of our worship. If you need to go, feel free to go. Have a great Sunday. Happy Easter. May God bless you.